good to be here this morning. <clears throat> the building we rent uh, became unavailable to us this morning, so uh, we tried really hard to find another place to worship, and just didn't work out, and uh, we decided it was best just to cancel service and uh, people to go their separate ways, and asked the kids last night where you want to go worship, and Gideon said here, so <laughs> we're here this morning. Um called Brother Jonathan and told him, I said, you know, uh, you don't have to put me up. <laughs> We're just here to fellowship, and uh, and I, I mean that. Um, but I will say a few things uh, and get out of his way, because he studied hard this week uh, for each and every one of you to give uh, to you what the Lord has laid on his heart. Um, but to put our minds in frame in preparation for that, my mind's on Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, in verse 17, I was thinking, you know, it would have been wonderful uh, to live in the time of Christ, would it not? And to just be a eyewitness to His ministry. Uh, you know, I, could, I, I, I sometimes, my imagination, I've, I've got a wild imagination. I like to imagine that I was there, you know, that I was sitting on the hills of Galilee as He preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I like to imagine uh, as he's in that fishing boat, you know, with the storms raging, I like to put myself in that position. I like to, I like to think of all the things that he accomplished. And, I, and it was a lot more than we have written in the Word of God. There, there was a lot more that he did that we simply don't know about. But I, I would have liked to have seen the miracles. Jesus did a lot of wonderful things. Things that had never really been done before on the scale in which he did them. He raised more people uh, to life than anybody else. Uh, as he walks around Capernaum and Galilee and throughout all the regions, he is, it is saying repetitively that he is casting out devils and he's giving sight to the blind and he's, and he's healing the lame. Uh, he's restoring the sound to the deaf and, and all these wonderful miracles. And it's just think, how amazing would it have been to watch that? To watch Christ touch the eyes of someone who was blind and now they see. And, and to watch Him speak to the lame man, get up and walk, and, and He has new legs. You know, new eyes and new legs and new ears and all these things. And, and what He's doing is He's creating a new life for all these people. Mm-hmm. That's what He's doing. Their, their life has been uh, one of pain, perhaps, pain of uh, probably misery, as they're, they're dealing with the, the doleful existence that they're living in with no sight, not the, the, without the ability to hear. And Christ comes along and gives them something new. You know, in every, every situation like that, what do, you, what do you find? You find supreme joy. You know, no one leaves the scene of Christ after having their sight restored to them, saying, hey, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> that was wonderful. You know, but everyone left. You know, the man that was lame got up, and he says he leaped. He was, he was excited that Christ had made him whole, had made him new. And my mind's on that word new this morning. And it says... And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. All things have become new to us who if we are in Christ, truly if Christ has come into our lives and touched us, the things that He has touched has become new to us. And I begin to think of all the things that Christ has done to us. It would have been wonderful to see Him give sight to the blind. But He has. Jesus would say, He that have ears to hear, let him hear. Christ has given us ears to hear. Now, something we did not have before. You know, the, the old man, the old person that we were when we were dead in trespasses of sin lacked the spiritual capacity to hear the blessed truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We lacked the eyes to behold Christ in His beauty. We, we, we lacked the ability to comprehend the God of the universe. And yet, Christ comes along personally to us And He extends the hand of mercy and grace and He touches us. And the moment that Christ touches us, dear child of God, all things became new. You have eyes to see, ears to hear. You have spiritual legs that can walk by faith. You know, Paul would say that we are to walk in newness of life. Newness of life. You have a new life. And we are to walk in accord with that new life. Christ has given us all things new. And and Isaiah would say that I will give them a new heart. Right? Uh, It's not the old dead depraved heart that that we, we used to have when we were without Christ in this world, but it is something entirely new. It's not beating after the lust and passions of the sin nature, but now we have a heart within us that is beating and pumping that spiritual energy through us to a spiritual inclination, right? You feel the urge to pray. Don't you? Yeah, we should. If we've been touched by Christ, we should feel the urge to pray. We should feel the urge to worship. We should feel the urge to be near the one that we love. Because it's new. It's something new within us. It's not the old man uh, uh, reformed and, and, and made somewhat better. No, the old man still exists there. And that's why in the previous verse... Uh, that that uh, he talks about that old man, or, or that's in Ephesians. I'm sorry, in Ephesians he talks about putting off the old man and putting on on the new man, which is created in Christ in righteousness in Christ. All things are become new. We have hands to work with Christ. You know, and and, and in Christ, you know, in, in uh, Lamentations he says his mercies are new every morning. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. Mm -hmm. At the end of the age, what does Christ say to us? Behold, I make all things what? New. Mm -hmm. We are a part of something new. (laughs) Jesus would say, this is the new testament in my blood. It was not a revision of the old. It was entirely new. My point this morning is, is that while all the wonderful things that Christ did in His earthly ministry would have been amazing to behold. And you see how these men who were touched directly by their Lord got up and lived entirely different lives than what they had. The blind are now active. The lame are now walking. 
right? And, and they're, they're totally different than what they were. And that was a miracle. And Christ changed their life. Totally. And gave them something totally new. That's the same with each and every one of us. Every one of us have been personally touched by the Lord at some point in our lives. And we've been given a new heart, new eyes, new ears, new legs, new hands. Everything's been made new. And His mercy is new every morning. And because of that, it should be our desire every morning. Because there's new mercy, fresh mercy there. To put off that old man, to no longer act as if we're blind, no longer act as if we're deaf, no longer act as if we're lame, but to get up, get out of bed, and say, Christ has made me new, and with this new mercy, I'm going to attack this day for my Lord and Savior. Pray for your pastor as he comes before us. Because the Lord has been working with him this week, and I know that uh, he has a message that we all need to hear. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and pray for him again. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning, and we thank you, Lord, that you have touched our lives and you've made us new, uh, and you have promised to be with us and to never forsake us. And Lord, right now, in this moment, when your servant gets into this place to stand before your people to preach your word god i just pray that you would anoint each and every person here god that you would help us all to put off that old man that is deaf and blind and help us to put on the new man right now father that is renewed in christ lord and may you open our ears and and our eyes and our understanding and our heart lord and may we receive the the words of your servant lord that it may go forth and and produce abundant fruit. Lord, that it would redound into Your glory. Lord, uh, I ask that You would fill him with Your blessed and Holy Spirit. God, that uh, his preaching would be a demonstration of Your grace, of Your power. Lord, of all that You are. Lord, just uh, use him in a mighty way. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that You would continue to anoint her with grace, that You would bless her, Father, continually with a spirit of unity and in peace. Lord, give them all fresh eyes to uh, go forth from this place and uh, reach forward to the people in their community. Lord, and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, that all that are such as should be saved in this community would be added here. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. Amen. I kind of want Him to just keep going. That was good. Uh, y'all been fed this morning. Nothing else. Uh, I'm sorry y'all's church uh, building didn't work out this morning, but apparently it's for our benefits. <laughs> you have your uh, Bible, and you should. Uh, let's open it up to James. We finished... James chapter 1 last week, so we'll move into James chapter 2. Um, but hang on to verse 22 of chapter 1. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. That, that theme just permeates. So it's going to continue right into James chapter 2. So we're going to read the first verse. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to 
of persons. He is writing unto believers. He's writing unto folks who have faith in Jesus Christ. He's writing unto you. He's writing unto me. So don't have that, that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just any Lord, the Lord of glory with respect to person, with respect to persons. We could call that favoritism. We could call that um, partiality. Um, so these two concepts don't go together. Okay? You serve the Lord of glory, there is no glory besides His. So you certainly don't be look, need to be looking at any human for their glory right. and giving them preference because of their perceived glory. Right. These things ought not to be. Now, respect your persons. That's kind of a, a biblical term, preacher word, right? We don't talk about that very often. So let's go look. As you're reading through your Bibles, kids, right? You're going to read cover to cover, right? And so at some point, when you've read all the way through, you'll be introduced to this concept. Well, first place, uh, it may show up, and it could show up other places. The first one I'm going to look at is back in the Old Testament in Leviticus. All right, Leviticus. If you are marching through, that may be a hard book in your reading, boys, to get through. But it's worthwhile. So here's a nugget we're going to get. Leviticus chapter 19. Try and help us understand a little bit what it means to be a respecter of persons and why we don't want to do it. Right, Connor? Why we don't want to be a respecter of persons. So Leviticus chapter 19, and it comes up in verse 15. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thy judge thy neighbor. Alright, so the context here is that when you're a judge, alright, you've got two people coming unto you and you have to make a decision about who is right and wrong in this situation, okay? It says don't respect the person of the poor man. So a poor man versus a rich man in the controversy. It says don't respect the poor man just because he's poor. That's either for or against him. And don't respect the give more honor to the rich man just because he's rich. Okay? So, if I come and I come and plead my case and I'm very poor and you side with the rich guy just because he's rich, am I going to go to God and cry to Him and say, God, there's been unrighteousness done. This hasn't been fair. It hasn't been just. Because the rich guy could be completely in the wrong. Right. right? But if he gets preferential treatment just because of the amount of money he has, that is showing respect unto his person. It's an unrighteous judgment. So it could be the other way. And sometimes in our government, it does that today. It shows more partiality just because you're poor. Well, you may be wrong, but you're poor, and so I'm going to give it in your favor. No, that's wrong too. Okay? So that's our first example of respect to person. So it's in the context of, of deciding a case between two and judgment. Shows up again later in Proverbs. A lot of good uh, practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 24 and we'll read a few verses here, 23 through 25. We'll start halfway through in 23. It says, It is not good to have respect to persons in judgment. Same context here. Show impartiality in your cases. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous. Him shall the people curse, and nations shall abhor him or hate him. But to them, but to them that rebuke him shall be a delight. And a good blessing shall come upon them. So there's a scenario here where you've got a good man and you've got a wicked man. 
And if you as a judge give respect to the person of that wicked man and say, well, you're good. What you're doing, even though it's wrong, for whatever reason, I'm going to side with you and say you're doing good. It says the people are going to hate you because you're causing trouble in the nation. We have to have righteous judgment. Call wickedness for what it is. Wickedness. Sin. Okay? Not having respect of persons. All right? Shows up again in 28 Proverbs. 28 and down in verse 21. To have respect of persons is not good. It's pretty plain there, right? It's not good. Why? For, you see, the reason, for for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. It's saying, a judge, a man who is willing to decide between two people by based on who their person is, if you give him a bribe, even if it's just a piece of bread, he's willing to sin. So in the smallest matter and in the greatest matter, we don't need to show partiality or favoritism or to respect somebody's person. We should do what is right because it's right. Okay, So that's the Old Testament. Now, if you jump forward to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus' enemies would, would say many things about him. Here they gave him a compliment. It's Matthew 22 and verse 16. So these are the Herodians coming. These are followers of Herod. Matthew 22, 16. They sent out to him their disciples with the Herodians. So the Pharisees and the Herodians are together saying, Master, we know that thou art true and that thou teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So they're giving him a compliment. saying, we know what you're saying is true. Now really they were just trying to um, butter him up as it is until they come in with some tricky questions. But they recognized that he did not give regard for men based on who they are. He would say some hard truths to people and his disciples would come after him later and say, you've offended so-and-so. That's a hard saying. That was directly against them. But it was true and it needed to be said. Sometimes folks get irritated with preachers because we have to say hard truths because it may apply to individuals. We're charged to preach the whole counsel of God. If it applies, then we probably need to hear it. Okay, So Jesus gave a good example of he did not regard men, whether they were rich or poor, of how, and there's more context than just rich and poor. We'll try and flesh that out. But he did not change what was right and wrong based on who he was talking to. Right? All right. Let's go a little forward again to, uh, to 1 Timothy. See a few more references about respecter of persons. Just really want to kind of understand this concept so we can go forward. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and then down in verse 21. So Paul's writing to young Timothy. He's given many charges in this letter. One says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. He's not charging him to do something before men. Right? When you're doing things before men, if men aren't around, you may do something different Right? if you're not being sinned. But he's charging you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do God and the Lord Jesus Christ always see what you're doing? Absolutely. Can they see even if you don't say it out loud or if you think it, right? That's who he's charging in front of. You are standing or falling with your actions, your thoughts, your words before God himself. Okay? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So all these ministering servants of God who are around, I charge you before them all that thou observest these things, listen, without preferring one before another. Do nothing, nothing 
by partiality. Partiality means to be a respecter of person, preferring one over another because of who someone is and generally by what advantage you think you can get out of that person. That's, that's really what leads us to have partiality is because there is some advantage with this person's status, prestige, whatever, and it's going to benefit me. And those are wrong. Go again to uh, to James. We'll go back to James, but we're going to go forward a little bit farther than what we'll get to today. And James in chapter 3 describes uh, the wisdom from above versus the wisdom of this world. So James chapter 3, and we'll just jump in in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying, jealousy, strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. This is the, the wisdom of the old man. Right? We talk about the old man. This is his wisdom. This is not what we want. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion or instability, and every evil work. That's not what we want. But the wisdom that is from above, right? the wisdom from God, is first pure and peaceable, gentle, Easy to be entreated. That means you can be easily asked questions. You're not so rigid that you, you, you get rebuffed if anybody there dares question what you say. But you're easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay, That's one of the evidences of heavenly wisdom is that you're proceeding in a way that does not have partiality. You're not proceeding with respecting of persons or showing favoritism. All right, let's go finally to that little book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Jude, one chapter. Um, we're just going to pick up verse 16. And it's the context is talking about these false teachers, these who had crept in unawares. And there's a lot of problems with them, but to describe them, it says they're murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, so walking in the old man, right? And their mouth speaketh great swelling words. These are big pontificating. They've got big talking. They like to hear themselves talk. They like other people to hear them talk. Big, great swelling words describe their, you know, how they conduct themselves. And what do they do? They have men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They show that partiality. They see, you've got something that's going to benefit me. And I'm going to show some admiration to you, right? Because it's going to come back. I want that advantage, right? That's that's the old wisdom. That's the carnal man. That's earthly, devilish wisdom. We don't want that. We don't want to show the partiality, all right? Not to be respecters of persons, okay? That kind of makes sense, all right? So let's go back to James chapter 2, and James is going to give one scenario where this can play out. This is not the only scenario, all right? This is significant. If we just check this one box, we can't say, okay, I'm not a respecter of persons, right? And, and most of you have read this before know where I'm going, but if those who haven't, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. These two don't mix. For if, all right, here's your scenario. If there come into your assembly, at your church, that's where we're sitting now, you know, to assembly, you know, hey, church folks, y'all are supposed to assemble, right? That's part of what you're doing. And your assembly, if one come into your assembly, with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, right? And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, the, the pretty clothes, and say unto him, Sit here in the good seat. And say to the poor, uh, Stand thou there or, or sit there under my footstool, right? Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? 
All right, so use it in different words. Somebody comes in, they drive, oh, you see that BMW pull up, right? And they get out and they got a sharp suit. And you say, oh, whoa, here, come sit in this, this nice seat. Let's give you a comfy chair. We'll get you a cushion, you know, air conditioning's going light on you. You treat them really well, right? And then you have a hobo come in who's carrying his, his livelihood, everything he's got in a little Dollar General bag, and he kind of smells, right? And you look at him, you kind of, what are you doing here? Well, why don't, you, why don't you sit on the stairs back there by the baptistry so I won't have to smell you? They're both strangers. They're not members of your church. You don't know anything about them other than the way they look. And you treat them differently. Are you showing partiality? Are you giving respect to their persons? What you, you don't know anything about them. You just can see what they, you know, this man is rich. Well, maybe he'll join the church and maybe we'll get that seating chair funded, funded, right? He probably, he's probably just going to be a drain, right? We can have really bad thoughts about, right? You don't know what gifts the Lord's going to send to your church. That poor man may be the best prayer, prayer, a person who prays of anybody. Right? You know, we need prayer warriors. He may send you a prayer warrior, right? There are different gifts and they're not all visible on the outside. Okay, and so if you're treating them differently just from the way they look, you're in error. Okay? Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Now remember the context in the Old Testament was, was in judges, right? Well, here you are discerning how you're going to treat somebody. You're making a judgment call, and it says you're a judge with with evil thoughts, with evil rational uh, or evil reasoning. Right? Okay? So we need to flee from this. Don't have that. That that attitude and mindset does not mix with the Lord of glory. Right? That's not the example he gave. Even his enemies recognized that he wasn't a respecter of persons. Okay? Hearken, my beloved brethren. So he says, listen. Hearken means listen. Listen, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Right, so let's, let's answer the question. Is God a respecter of persons? Obvious answer is no. Let's get some scripture to verify that. But Romans chapter 2. And we'll just we'll have, have to just kind of jump into this, but just pull a few verses out. Romans chapter 2. Uh, let's start in verse 6. So it's talking about the righteous judgment of God. Alright? God who's going to give righteous judgment. Verse 6, Romans 2, 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them that by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to the man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. All that same for the context of verse 11 here is, For there is no respect of persons with God. Now, the, 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 the Jews in Jesus' day thought God was a respecter of persons. He thought, well, I'm, I'm a descendant, a natural descendant of Abraham, therefore I'm at a better level than you are. Okay? They didn't know the whole picture. It hadn't been revealed that God had a plan that was way bigger than just natural Israel. Natural Israel, they were mightily blessed in the natural sense, but they were just a they were a picture 
to point to what God was doing on a grander scale. And so whether you are a natural Jew or whether you are a Gentile, that just means non-Jew, right? You know that. One who's not born a descendant of Abraham naturally, God's not a respecter of persons of them between those, okay? Um, you get another admonition over in Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> we'll turn there real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. Just We're just establishing that God's not a respecter of persons. Ephesians chapter 6 gets some real practical you know, ad- admonitions. One starts with the servants, your employees. Here's how you honor your employers, whether they're good or bad. You faithfully serve them as unto the Lord. And then he gives this charge to the masters, those who had slaves, those who had employees. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. Forbearing, threatening, so you're not ruling them with a fist, right? <clears throat> and why? Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Your heavenly Father is not going to give you treatment, special treatment, because you're the master. Right? Okay, you're an earthly master, but down here, you, you've got employees. You're not on a higher level than your employees. All right, He's not going to show any greater respect between the master and the slave, bond or free, rich or poor. All right. So let's go back to to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. So, God's not a respecter of persons. That that seems fairly obvious. And when we look at this example of our evil reasonings, we've got the, the wealthy man who comes in and we give him the ideal seat, and you've got the poor man... He says, just just look at the example of what God has done. God didn't choose the rich. God chose the poor. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Okay? You say, well, where does that come into play? Where where can you see that? Let's go back to Luke chapter 7. Remember um, John the Baptist? He got arrested and at one point, he sends his disciples to come ask Jesus, you know, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been looking for? Now, John had already had you know, encouragement that it was the one by the sign of the Holy Spirit coming and resting on him after the baptism. But yet, he needed some additional encouragement. He came and asked again. So in Luke chapter um, 7 and down in verse 22, Jesus sent an answer back to these disciples to go take it to John who's in jail. He said, go your way. And tell John what things ye have seen and heard. Now he had just above done a whole bunch of miracles. How the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. What's the last one? To the poor the gospel is preached. To the poor. He came and preached the gospel to the poor. Isn't that amazing? Right? When you have you know, great gifts in this world and you decide who to share it with, they tend to share it with those who also have great gifts. You've kind of got to be at a certain level of the upper crust and you get in there and they'll just be back and forth with mutual encouragement, mutual gifts. Just, that's the way of this world. But God came and He preached the gospel unto the poor. And this shows up right in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? That was, uh, what was that, Matthew... We'll get there later. No, no, we do. We do it now. It's in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 
Just a few verses in the Sermon on the Mount. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, opened his mouth, yes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He is blessing those that are poor, those that are meek, those that are mourning, those that are humble. This is who he said, these people are blessed. They're supremely blessed. Here in this world, they may not feel overly blessed. That's the benefit of the good news is you get to tell them you are blessed. Okay, so God is not not a respecter of persons, particularly um, not between the the rich and the poor, um, which is which is good news for us. And and you can see that oh, in First Corinthians, you know, Apostle Paul was uh, humbling them a little bit in uh, chapter one when he's explaining you know the calling that they have he says for this is first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 for you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh right that earthly carnal old man wisdom not many of those wise men not many mighty or powerful or strong not many noble you know high-born folks are called but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. Look around your congregation. We're described as being the foolish things of the world. To confound the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, disesteemed. Hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. That, why? Why does he do all this? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God gets all the glory when he chooses you weak things, me weak things, and uses us in His service or gives us things for His glory. It's all for His glory, right? We can't say, well, I was smart enough, I was strong enough, I was born high enough, and that's why God did something. No. It's in spite of that, if anything. Okay? So that's the pattern that we have of what God chose, but what do we do? We chose the rich dude, right? When we're doing wrong, right? And so James here, back in James chapter 2, it said, but you've despised the poor. That's not the pattern we get from the Father. But what have you done? You've despised him. You've held him in low esteem. You've disesteemed him. And then he gives up some real natural arguments here. He says, you know, why are you giving preference to the rich? Do not the rich men oppress you? Right? Who's more likely to, to bring you up and, and, and commit fraud against you? Someone that you're working for? That was charge against the rich often back then is that someone has done labor for you and you've held back their wages. You say, I'll give it to you one day and you've got it there in the house, but you don't give it at all. Right? That's that's fraud. So who's going to oppress you? The rich. Right? The ones that are owing you money. Um, and draw you before the judgment suits. Who's going to sue you between the rich and poor? Who's going to sue you? Right? The one who's got the means to pay the lawyer and to drag it all out. I mean, that was that was one of Donald Trump's MOs in business was that he'd have you do all this work and say, you got to take half of it, or if not, I'm going to take you to court and we're going to go on for years and you're going to get very, very little. I mean, that's, that's a real foul way to do business, but there are many people who operate on that. Why? Because it's good business. It means it saved them money, right? But as between the rich and the poor, poor guy's not going to sue you, right? He can't afford it. <coughs> what else? Um... Draw you before the judgment seats. Do they not blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? Blaspheme your name. That means slander. That means to tell lies about you. Okay? And 
while the poor may do that, when you're rich, you have a louder megaphone. When you have influence and prestige in the community, when you say something nasty about somebody, more folks are going to believe it and listen and echo. It says, who between the two are going to be doing that? And you show you've got all these natural negative consequences associated, and yet you've still chosen them. Right? It's a not the right way to proceed. All right? And then verse 8 gives the admonition. If, so this is a scenario which you could, you may not, but if, if you fulfill the royal law, a royal law means the, really the preeminent. Remember, um, someone came to Jesus and asked, you know, what are the great commandments? And it was to love your Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and body. And then right, one right underneath that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? It says, if you fulfill the royal law, and on these hang all the law and the prophets. It's the summary of all the Old Testament and, and two little things. That's a really big deal. If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture... Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, if you do that, you do well. That's a good thing. If you're able to love your neighbor as yourself, ye you do well. All right? Now, remember there was a lawyer who came to Jesus who wanted to justify himself. He said, well, Lord, but who's my neighbor? Right? I want it to be a very narrow pool of these people who are my neighbors. You know, he sits on this side of my building or, or whatever. And that way, these are the only ones I have to love. And that's when Jesus gave the example of the Good Samaritan, right? Now, at that time, Samaritans were just the lowest of the lows. They were, they were hated by the Jews. I mean, they were, they, were, they were dirt, basically. But the dirt man, the one who had no value in their society, the one who everyone would reject and would hate in, you know, in normal courses, he's the one that showed mercy to the man who was beaten and left on the, you know, naked in the street, right? And so the question was, who was that man's neighbor? The answer is the one who showed mercy, Go thou and do likewise. So, who is your neighbor? Everyone. And you're to show mercy to everyone. <clears throat> even your enemies. Even the ones you really don't like. Even the ones who get upset and talk bad about you. Even them. To love them, even the ones that despise you, right? Spitefully use you, right? Even them. <laughs> If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. Right? That's a good thing. That's the one we do. But it comes with a but. Right? But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. It is a sin to have respect to persons, to show favoritism and partiality. And ye are convinced of the law as transgressors. It means you're, you're, you're convicted. Right? It's not a small thing. Right? Sometimes we kind of get in our head, well, I haven't killed anybody today and I haven't committed adultery and therefore I'm doing okay. I mean, yeah, I treat you know, Brother Jerry differently than I pre treat Connor and I, you know, I don't give you the good seat and I give him the sweet tea. Just silly examples, right? But if I do that within the church, that's sin. That's wrong. And it's not a little thing. Okay? If you have respect to persons, you commit sin, are convinced of the law as a transgressor. For whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Or he said, do not commit adultery, and said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So, okay, I didn't do this one, but I did this. Well, the whole law has been breached there. Okay, so it's not a small thing. So verse 12 says, so speak ye, and so do. 
as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. That goes back all the way to chapter 1 and verse 22. Be ye, not, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we have to speak and teach this about partiality, and then we have to live it out. It's not just enough to give lip service to it. We have to demonstrate it and give it out. All right, so live it by example. Um, this really is what's being talked about in Micah 6 8, about loving mercy. If I love my neighbor as myself, and who's my neighbor? The ones who I'm showing mercy to, I should love mercy. Right? Love mercy. Verse 13 is where he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So if we're looking and condemning and judging someone just based on, on their appearance or their status or whatever, we're committing sin. We should rather love mercy and not have that element of the, the judgment within us. Right? That's, what's, that's what's being addressed over there in Colossians. And this, this expression has always been kind of strange to me. Um, Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 12, talking about putting on the new man. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. The elect of God, you have the new man, right? You know what this is. You're able to do this. Holy and beloved, put on bowels of mercy. I don't think about my stomach very often or my intestines. That's literally what our bowels are, right? But if you have mercy coming in from within, your inner feelings, your inner spirit, not doing it to check the box. Well, God says I must show mercy. Oh, okay, here, have some mercy, sprinkling just enough to kind of look at it, right? But where it radiates from within. I love mercy. Bowels of mercies. Put those on. And then what else? you got holy, beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, to be long-spirited. I mean, parents, we learn a lot about being long-spirited, right? Or we ought to. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. This is all within the context of the church, right? If we are all doing this on, if we're all putting on uh, holy and beloved, putting on bowels of mercy, loving mercy, both giving and, and receiving. Not being bitter when someone shows mercy to us. Ooh. We can get in the flesh on when we're on the receiving end. Right? Giving and receiving and mercy and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, being long-suffering. Forgiving one another, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Alright? So, we kind of got the idea of what it means to be a respecter of persons. Right, kids? Little boys in the front row? All of you? Yeah? Kind of understand it? Okay. Now, we said it's not just between rich and poor, right? There are other scenarios where we can, we can have respect to persons. Well, let's look at a few of them, um, and hopefully this will flesh out this concept a little bit more. So maybe we can think about implying it as this week comes up. So let's start in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, during Jesus' earthly ministry. They were brought unto him, this is verse 13, Matthew 19, 13. There were, there were that brought unto him little children. So some people brought to Jesus some little children, right? That he should put his hands on them and pray. Ooh. Kids, would you like to, or parents, would you like to be in that line for having kids? <laughs> right? Pretty cool, but... 
He's on, he's interceding on their behalf too. You've got that now too. You may not physically be able to see it, but that you've got that now too. Amen. But these these parents, they brought these children. They wanted the Lord to put His hands on them and pray. And what did those disciples do? Buked them. Y'all don't need to be this. We ain't got time for that. Get on out of here, right? They were southern. Right? They rebuked them. Jesus didn't tolerate it. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children. Forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And in many examples, the child of God is given for a role model for how we should be, particularly in malice or anger towards one another, to be quickly forgiving and to go on and play together. You see that in kids. Adults, how often does that happen? Right? That's the model. For, for many examples, it says, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So here's an example of where the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, were standing there by him and they were showing respect to the person. Sorry, you're too young for the masters. You just get on out of here. Right? They were showing respect to persons under them just because they were aged. They were saying, you're not worthy because of something about you, your age. Okay? Were they wrong in that? Yes. yes. Alright, how about... Over in Mark chapter ten, Mark chapter ten, you can in your in your mind's eye you can imagine they're they're Mark or they're going down the road. There's Jesus, there's his disciples, there's you know, folks following him. In addition, and and then there's this guy on the side of the road. Um, Mark ten, verse uh, forty six, and they uh, came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people followed him. So it's kind of like a parade, right? They're going along. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of uh, Timaeus, sat by the highway begging. Okay, so he's down, big road, right? Begging. And this big parade of people comes by. Jesus, his disciples, great number of folks. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, so he's hearing the conversations as people are going along, and he picks up. He can't see, but he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was going by. He began to cry out and say, Jesus! The son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know if he was a mile down the road already, but he was hollering. He needed Jesus, all right? He was blind. He wanted that new life, right? And many, many charged him that he should hold his peace. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, they looked at the blind man on the gutter begging, who's now crying after their master, and said, be quiet. You're not worthy of his time. That's really what they're saying, right? They're rebuking him. They're telling him to hold his peace. All right? Fortunately, he didn't. He cried the more. A great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, Be of good cheer. Rise. He calleth thee. Wow, that's a little bit different than what they just said. All right? Be quiet. Oh. Be of good cheer. He's calling for thee. Before, just looking at his exterior, the poor beggar, blind man, he was too weak, he, he, he wasn't worthy of their time. Now the, the masters made clear, yes he is. Bring him unto me. And then they, they treated him a little bit differently. Right? Well, we should just jump to that second part. Right? They, were, they were treating him, um, they were being a respected person, probably not only because he was poor, but also because he was weak. He was infirm. What could he offer here? He was just, if nothing else, he was going to slow down the parade. We got places to march, right? Okay, so being respected persons there. How about another one over in uh, Luke chapter seven? Luke chapter seven and verse thirty-seven. 
Um, so he, the context here is Jesus is at dinner, right? A Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, has invited him over to dinner. All right, and behold, look here, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that it was Jesus was at meat or eating at the Pharisee's home, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Right? And so the guy who's hosting this looks and sees this sinner is in his house and she's touching his guest and, ooh. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, you know, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. For she is a sinner, as if he wasn't. Right? Whatever her sins were, now, you can speculate that maybe she was a streetwalker. I don't know. There was something that she was commonly known that she was a sinner. Right? And therefore, to this man, she wasn't worthy. Put that in the context of who's coming into your assembly. Is it somebody that you know isn't worthy because of their sins, right? Right. God's grace is big enough to give any of His children, and will give all of His children, right? Those new eyes, that new heart, right? It's not you to judge of seeing someone walking in. Well, I know that person is a sinner. They don't need to be here. This may be exactly where they need to be. That's right. And woe unto us if we cause one of those little lambs to stumble. That means to to sin more. Because we rejected them, because we've showed partiality. So the folks in this town knew this woman was a sinner, whatever that means there. And they could have treated her very differently. And that Pharisee would have treated her differently. Right? But Jesus used that on to, to teach, teach the example um, that you know those who have been forgiven much will love very much. Well, if you recognize the sins that you have, you have a lot that you've been forgiven for. You have a lot to love. Right? A lot of love to the Lord. And that same concept comes again in Luke 15 and verse 1. So not only was he eating with sinners, um, Luke 15 and 1, then drew unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, the religious leaders, the ones who looked good on the outside, they said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with him. So you've got publicans and sinners. Well, so it's a publican. Publican is the tax collector. These guys were known for their shady uh, business dealings, right? They were empowered by the government to come and take take taxes. And if you didn't do what they say, you know, you'd have trouble. Well, not only would they say, "Well, if you owe you know, Caesar a hundred, I may come to you and say you owe Caesar two hundred. Where do you think the extra hundred is going to go? In his pocket, right? Remember old Zacchaeus in his pocket? Yeah, you remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? He climbed up the tree. Right? I won't call on Zach to leave that one right now. But he came down from the tree, and the Lord had got a hold to him because he was going to go have dinner with him. And he said, you know, half of the goods that I have, I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man wrongfully, I give it back four times. So if I took a quarter from you, I'm going to give you back a dollar. And So he was a head publican. He was a head tax collector. He was a rich man. He had made a lot of gain from stealing from folks. And so the evidence was that he came down and there had been a change in his life and he was giving half of his goods away in general and then restoring, doing the correction of the wrong. So these Republicans, these were kind of the low of the low as far as you know, jobs in the society. They were hated, right? Everyone knew they were chaste, uh, shysters, right? They, they, they were deceitful. And so the Pharisees, along with sinners, and again, whatever that looked like, whether this was with prostitutes or, or something, that they could just look at them and know that person was a sinner, Right? 
And he, they were upset that Jesus would receive them. But that's who Jesus came to call. He came to call sinners to repentance. Okay? So you as His church, you better let sinners come in the door. Be willing to interact with sinners. Go forward to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and I want just one verse. Verse 28. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. These are all different examples of how you could show respect to persons. Um, you could say, well, you're not a Jew, and therefore you're not worthy, go away. Or you could be on the flip side and say, well, you're a Jew, you're not worthy, go away. Right? You could say, well, you're a slave. You're not worthy. Or you're not a slave. You're not worthy. Or you're a woman. You're not worthy. Or you're a man. You're not worthy. These are all examples of things that, the most part, you have no control over. Right? This is where the Lord has called you. He can call you in any of those conditions in your life. That's where He's called you to serve. You serve Him there. And so we can't condemn anyone else based on these conditions alone or show partiality among them. So, use different words for our vernacular. Uh, Jew or Greek? Race. Right? You have a different skin pigmentation than me. I can't treat you differently. Right? He created us all out of one blood. Uh, employment. Well, you're blue collar versus white collar versus no collar versus whatever. I can't treat you differently. Or gender, Right? Now, we have different roles in gender. We use Scripture to guide that, but you're all still welcome. You're all still children of God and worthy of the same respect. I was over at Earl's store, right? Having, having a biscuit a couple weeks ago. I was reading. Had an opportunity. And one of the ladies who worked there came up to me, sat down, she said, what religion are you? And I told her, and we talked for a minute, and I invited her to church. And her question was, was everybody welcome there? And the obvious answer is, well, of course! But you think about that. In many churches, and Lord help us if this is one, where we don't really mean that. If you're welcome, if you come and you look like us, and you act like us, and you dress like us, and you smell like us. Right? Now, I'm not saying there's not room where we can take a baby Christian and teach them a better way and help help them to grow. But if they're a baby baby, none of those boxes may be checked. Take that outside of the church. Who I'm interacting with in my daily life. Who am I willing to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for me and for all of His children? If I am writing people off based on any of those boxes that aren't checked, well, that person, they may not be a citizen of this country. They may be a citizen of a heavenly country, which is a lot more important, and you have a whole lot more in common than just because you can both get a passport. Right? There are many ways that we can offend in this, and often because we're not thinking about it. Sometimes it's conscious, and Lord help us on those. But Lord, also help us to see the blind spots where we have, where we show partiality among people rather than showing mercy and love and compassion. That's what 
That's what Jesus, that's the model that he gave. Now he knew those were his. And yet he was still kind to the unthankful and the ungrateful too. That's the model that we have to follow. Is this a lot? Yeah, it is. Is it worthy of our efforts? Yeah, it is. Why? Because it glorifies your Heavenly Father. When you do the things that make you uncomfortable in your old self, those are often the most beneficial and edifying not only for you, but also for your church body and your community around you. You don't know who the Lord's sheep are. And so love and share and encourage the best of the ability and the gifts that God's given you. Thank you all for your time and attention.